Praise the Lord. This is Jacob Lovelace with The Promise Church, and we want to welcome you to our new podcast, Messages from the Promise. We want you to be blessed by the word of the Lord that's shared here each week at The Promise Apostolic Church. Hope these words richly bless you. God bless. Good to be in His presence. You can be seated. It's so good to be here. My, this... This place is amazing. The last time I was here, everybody was touching each other. There couldn't be no social distancing. You just about had to uh, share jackets with people. It was so crowded. This looks great. Amen. This looks great. The Lord has certainly blessed this church. And I want to give honor to Pastor and Sister Lovelace and to this great body of people. I want to honor you in this celebration tonight I know it's been a long journey to get here and I think the price of that sign I wish I could just write you a check and solve that problem for you but if you know somebody that can write that check send them my way too I got a couple smaller problems they can handle for me but it took a long time to get here a lot of prayer uh, we prayed in our in our home church for this church to uh, get this building, to get in this building because the Lord has such great things that he wants to do for this community. Amen. We love these, these folks, your pastor and his wife, his family. And I'm glad the Lord has planted them here. I want to give honor to all the ministry of this church and for those of you that have supported your pastor allowing him to pursue his vision for this, uh, this church and this community. You know, someone said one time, there can be many departments in a church, but there can only be one vision. It has to be the pastor's vision. More than one vision is division, and no church can survive with division. He can't do it by himself. He needs you. But if you'll get behind his vision... Amen. The things God has shown him through the years, it's going to be done in this community. It can come to fruition if you folks can work together. Amen. It's always good to see Brother Christian and his family. I love my friends, Brother and Sister Vickers and their family. Uh, always good to see them. Look forward to seeing them. My wife and I are practicing social distancing. We wear a mask. I talked to Brother, uh, Brother David Poole. Thursday night, he said, I'm going to get a mask to wear to church that's a, like a, a Lone Ranger mask. So I'm not going to cover up my breathing. It bothers my breathing, but I'm going to get one of those and see if that'll pass. Well, it won't pass for me, but uh, we're practicing social distancing because we're old and we're overweight, and that makes you a victim right away. So uh, we had a friend that was in the hospital for over 50 days and on a ventilator for 19 days. And he said, Brother Moses, the doctors and the nurses would come in day after day and say, the man in bed 14 is not going to make it today. But the Lord brought him through. And the descriptions of... The descriptions of those that have suffered, we know, we know 10 people personally right now that have this virus and... Uh, they say the inflammation causes the lungs to feel like they're on fire. One man was coughing up blood, splattering it all over the walls. 
coughing so hard it busts blood vessels. So it's, um, it's got our family nervous, so we're not taking any chances. But we'll elbow you all day long. Amen. You know, usually you elbow somebody when you want them to, you want them to tell them something that you're not supposed to be telling them, you know. But we'll do that tonight as a greeting. It's always good to be with Denver and Chrissy, even if only for a few hours. We don't get to see them very often. It's either work or school. But we're glad that they're to, here tonight as well. I, I don't want to waste your time. I have uh, prayed about this service. And the very first thing the Lord laid on my mind to preach is not what I wanted to preach. But I, I feel like this is what the Lord gave me. The first song that we sang uh, had a line in that song that said, The best is yet to come. And that, would, that was going to be the title if I decided to preach this. And I'm going to preach this tonight. You can just remain seated. I'm going to do some scriptures along the way. But I want to talk to you from my heart for a little while tonight. I want you to know that you're important to God. Amen. You, you are so important to God because you are his key to reaching this city. Amen. If you don't do it, who will? There's a lot of people today that have casual church and people get so accustomed to the casualness of the service that they come in for the music and you've got phenomenal music here. Tremendous music. They come because of the social programs and I don't know what social programs you have, but some people come because they like the fellowship. They like what you're doing. But there are people that sit on our pews sometimes for years. They come to the right place. They're in the church with the right doctrinal message, the right foundation, but they never hear what they need to hear to be saved. I know some folks that have been attending a church for 14 years said we've never heard an Acts 2.38 message preached in our church in 14 years. We've never heard anyone preach on the oneness of God or baptism in Jesus' name in 14 years. It's always how God wants to bless you. He wants you to drive a better car, live in a better house, have a better job. I think God has a lot of blessings he wants to give us. But that's not why you're in the church. Amen. Now, I don't have to cover the oneness of God or baptism in Jesus' name or the infilling of the Holy Ghost because I know if there's ever a preacher that preaches it, it's that man right there. Some of the greatest messages I've ever heard on the apostolic message has been from this pastor. But in the book of John chapter 2, Jesus had turned water into wine and the governor of the feast said, you save the best wine for last. God told the prophet Haggai in Haggai 2 and 9 that the glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former. I want to talk to you about the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Ladies and gentlemen, our world has changed dramatically in the last three months in ways that none of us could have ever imagined. Now I'm going to tell you before I get into the word of the Lord, I want to tell you that what we're going through right now is going to pass. It's going to pass. 
and the message that it was intended to give not to the world, but to the church. If we're not careful, we're going to miss that message. The Bible said, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. As it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What were they doing? Jesus said they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, and they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. He was saying it was a day like any other day. It wasn't a day like any other day for Noah, but it was to the people that did not hear the message of the hour. I believe that the level of fear and uncertainty that's been released into our world is going to have an effect on all of us for generations to come if the Lord tarries much longer. There's a new unchallenged censorship that is against the dissenting points of view. We have a loss of basic constitutional freedoms that we've enjoyed since the founding of our nation, but we're watching them now beginning to slip through our fingers as college-educated students are now embracing socialism. Stay with me for a little while. I want to be real with you today. Someone posted a picture of a sign on a door of a Barnes & Noble bookstore a few days ago that said that the Bible will no longer be sold here since it has many references to slavery, bigotry, and of course the idea of supremacy of the Jews as God's chosen people. Is it a real post? Who knows? But it wouldn't surprise me anymore. Not in this generation, but what I do know is that the stage is now being set for the Antichrist to appear on the scene. But somebody said, well, that sounds scary to me. Yes, it may sound scary. But before he can be revealed, the church is going to be raptured out of here first. In Revelation chapter 4, we're raptured out of here. It's not till chapter 13 that the Antichrist is revealed and the, the mark of the beast is ordered for everyone around the world before they could buy and sell. I want to tell you, now is the time for the church to really be the church. If we've ever wondered when our hour would be, I'm telling you, you are exactly what God determined for this generation. You are the church of the living God. You are in the right place. You have the right message. You have the right answer that the world is looking for. The name promise is the greatest name you could have given to this building because you've got the promise that God gave in the book of Acts and Acts chapter 2, and that promise is still being poured out. If you need the Holy Ghost, you're in the right place. If you need forgiveness of your sins, you're in the right place. If you want to start your life over, you're in the right place tonight. There has been a, there's been a disturbing trend toward casual Christianity for a long time in the churches across the country. And, I, and I've been preaching about this for over a year and a half. But I think that the Lord is telling us now that the time for casual Christianity is over because casual Christianity is not the answer. Casual Christianity is powerless because it carries no burden. When you come to the house of God, it needs to mean something. It needs to count. We don't come here to see who's going to get it going for us. When we walk in the house of God, if you want to feel the presence of God, you've got to enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. 
Why? Because the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. We owe Him praise no matter how we feel, no matter what's going on in our world. Every time the doors are open, we owe Him glory and praise. Brother Christian is a great song leader, but he ought not to have to be a cheerleader. We know what to do when we come in the house of God. You've got the Holy Ghost. You know what to do when you come in. Give glory and honor to Him, and we'll create an atmosphere that some sinner's life can be changed. The Lord is not coming back for a dead church. Or a relaxed church. He's not coming back after a powerless church or a casual church. He's coming out back after a book of Acts church. A church that's made themselves ready. A church that still has power and signs and wonders and miracles. You need healing in your body. The Bible said that the elders of the church can anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. You've got healing in this building. You need your sins washed away. You've got water there in the name of Jesus that will cleanse the record for you. You need the Holy Ghost. You need Christ in you. He'll fill you in this place. A few centuries ago, after a large sum of money was brought in and laid before the Pope, the Pope looked at all the money and he said, we can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. But then one of his aides responded by saying, Yes, Holy Father, but neither can we say, Rise up and walk. God did not call any of us to be rich or famous or popular. He called us to be witnesses to this lost world. You're not in this community because you found you a little club here, a religious organization, a club. That's not what he called you for. There is a harvest field out there. And I'm telling you, it's ripe, ready to harvest. And the Lord wants you to be the witness that goes out and brings somebody else in. The message of Pentecost was very simple. It was life-changing because it was a message to a miserable and hopeless world that finally, finally, after all these years, the bondage of sin has been broken. You can be free. Hallelujah. Calvary opened a door for sinners to be set free and to be born again so you can have a chance to start your life over again. And wherever that message has been preached, all over the globe, the Word of God is confirmed with signs and wonders and miracles. And the great outpouring of the Holy Ghost at the beginning of the 20th century at Azusa Street, it was also accompanied with signs and wonders and miracles. And I believe that the great revival that God promised to send uh, just before the sounding of the trumpet is it, to this church, uh, uh, to God's church in the end time, it's also going to be accompanied with signs and wonders and miracles. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a rare thing. I think God's going to pour out His Spirit in a way we've never seen before. So casual Christianity is not the answer. If you want Holy Ghost revival in these last days, you got to pray. you got to consecrate. you got to dedicate yourself. The house of God needs to be the most important place in your life. Second Chronicles 7 and 14 said, If my people 
which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. There's a whole lot of people that call themselves Christians that the Lord hasn't heard from in a very long time. Been teaching some church history in our church here in the past few months. There was a lot of persecution and bloodshed against the church until Constantine came to power. And after his so-called conversion, the bloodshedding stopped. And that's when false doctrine began to creep in. That's when there were all kinds of new doctrines that were added. But I want to tell you this, that if it takes persecution against the church in the last days to get us serious about our mission and calling, then I believe God will send persecution. He'll send pain. He'll send discomfort so he can disrupt our programs and our lives in this careless world. As long as there was persecution against the church, it remained relatively free from corruption and false doctrine and, and all the outside influences. However, it was the easing of persecution and struggle that often makes men lazy, makes them forget the value of what they had. Jesus said in Matthew 16 and 18, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He did not say that hell would not fight against it. He said it could not prevail against it. You're going to fight the adversary. You're going to fight the devil. You're going to fight the lust of the flesh. You're going to fight all those things that you've always fought against. But the devil, the enemy, is not going to prevail against the church. You have everything you need to win. You have everything you need to have revival. You have everything you need to transform your life and give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. I like what Brother... Poole said at the conference, he said, we can't get on the phone. We can't call a seasoned man. We can't ask this man to give us direction during times like these because we've never lived in times like these. Amen. Do you realize that in a few short weeks, we went from the greatest job market in American history with the strongest economy in American history the best gas prices we've ever seen in decades because America's now energy independent. And then we went from that, all of us riding high, to a global pandemic that has literally shut down the world, bringing the global economy to a screeching halt, destroying 40 million American jobs. 40% of those jobs will not come back. Americans are now standing in food lines and sitting at home waiting for a government check so they can hopefully keep a roof over their heads. Liquor stores and pot shops, abortion centers were open and listed as essential while the churches were closed and, and uh, were, were ruled as unessential even by the Supreme Court. You could buy lottery tickets and marijuana but not tomato plants or house paint. Nearly 26,000 nursing home residents have died from COVID-19. I read an article the other day that said alcoholism, drug overdoses, and suicide are, calls, are called deaths of despair. 
And these deaths of despair could reach 150,000 in the U.S. if more isn't done right away to provide access to mental health care, to mitigate social isolation, and to blunt the impact of this economic downturn that has caused deep depression, anxiety, fear, and hopelessness. One writer went on to say in that same article, these deaths of despair should be seen as the epidemic within the pandemic, end of quote. Jesus said in Luke 21 and 25, there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And if our misery with COVID-19 restrictions were not enough, we had an officer kneel on a man's neck for almost nine minutes even after he was dead, which of course led to our cities now being looted and burned, riots going on everywhere. And then they don't want the law-abiding citizens to be able to buy a gun to protect themselves. Ladies and gentlemen, this world has gone crazy, and Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. This church building, this church building is the most important building in this community. I don't care if you just got a new mall, if you got a new favorite restaurant, if you got a new building that's doing all kinds of great industry, bringing a lot of money to your community. There is no building in this community that is more valuable and more important in these last days than the promised church. You got it built just in time. The Lord wants to use you. He wants to use this church. Folks, I'm telling you, I feel there's revival on the horizon. I feel like God brought you here for such a time as this not in a different generation but in this last day oh let's give him some glory today hallelujah hallelujah I was preaching out of town on March the 11th I got the call from one of my elders telling me someone in our church had been exposed to this virus. We never heard of the virus. We didn't know what it was. He said, we have to shut down. Before I could get off the phone with him, other people in the room were getting text messages. Other churches were shutting down. The people I was with, their church was shutting down. And all of a sudden, it was like someone just unplugged everything all over the world. And I mean everything from bars to churches. We didn't know if we'd get back home. Gas stations were closed. They were going to close, uh, they were going to close state uh, border crossings. And I can assure you, I told my wife as soon as it happened, I said there is no one person that could have done such a thing. There is no doubt in my mind, God is the author of the shutdown. Amen. And if God shut it down, we as the church better tune our ears to his frequency so we can find out why. 
I've been telling our church for weeks that this is not, this world is not going to get the message. I want you to get this too. The world is not going to get the message of COVID-19. This world, they're, they're hoping for, let me read some things that I, that I read in the paper, uh, things that I saw in the news about what the world is looking for through this. The world is looking, they're concerned about whether or not baseball or football season is going to start back up again. They're only concerned about where the next government check is going to come from and how much is it going to be this time. The people that are in the world, they're hoping for free utilities, free internet, free cable TV so they can binge watch their lives away. They're hoping for free health care to come out of this crisis. They're hoping for free online schools and online college courses. They're hoping for student loan forgiveness. They're hoping for national rent-free laws that allow them to not to have to pay rent and still not be evicted. They're hoping that all the stores and restaurants are going to give free delivery so they can lay around the house all day in their sweatpants and still get paid for it. And all the things I read, not one person said they feel like we need to repent and turn back to God. Many of these people claim to be college students, educated students, and yet I think they're intoxicated with stupidity. They have no idea how business and economies actually work. They have no idea of the damage that's being done every single day that we as a country are not fully opened. They have no idea how much misery and suffering and debt that they're leaving for their children and their grandchildren, not to mention the freedoms and liberties of their children and grandchildren that willingly giving away. So again, God is not trying to get their attention. They're not going to get it. He's trying to get ours. Noah, get in the ark. Everybody else thinks you've lost your mind. Get in the ark. The message is not for them. The message is for us. The message is he's coming back. We got to wake up. We got to get ready. The coming of the Lord is upon us. We saw a few years ago the tsunami that came and, and hit through uh, uh, Japan and, and uh, the, the Asian countries there. We saw that tsunami and the devastation was hard for the mind to comprehend. But I read an article that said they knew that tsunami was coming. Some of them knew it for hours because their satellite monitored sensors in the ocean that determined the waves. And, and when it first started, it was just a small wave. But it was going to be traveling at 600 miles an hour. And it was going to be moving and hitting some shallower ground. And it was going to be getting higher and higher. Here's the point. They knew. Some of them knew for hours it was coming. Even when the water washed back off the shore and went out. People looking boats are sitting on dry ground. What's going on? They didn't know what was going on. But then all of a sudden... Alarm bells started going off on the shore because the spotters could see the tsunami wave in the distance. It was closing in fast, and they knew they didn't have much time 
to get themselves to higher ground. That's the way I feel today. I feel like we don't have much time left to get our families in the church and to get to higher ground. I've had people in our church ask me, Pastor, how much do you think we're going to have to endure before the Lord finally gets us out of here? I can't answer that question because I don't know. But I do know that the three Hebrew children said, our God is able. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow to your gods. That ought to be our attitude. we got to make up our mind today before the storm comes that no matter what happens, we've got to endure to the end. We've got to be saved above all else. We've got to be saved. The police are walking off their job by the hundreds because they're not respected or supported by their own departments. I saw the other day firefighters are being hit with feces and urine and gasoline. They're becoming targets for violence and looting. Just like it was hard to get... Police officer recruits to sign up after Ferguson riots. It's going to be a lot harder now for men and women to put their lives and their families' lives at risk to protect a bunch of ungrateful people in a thankless society. Let me tell you something. You might want the freedom to do whatever you want to, but there's no society that's safe if there's no law and order in that society. And we're heading back to a vigilante, wild west form of law enforcement and, and self-protection if we can't get a hold of this as a nation. Jesus told us there would be distress of nations and men's hearts would fail them for fear. He told us in Matthew 24 and 7, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. This is not as bad as it's going to get. I saw last week, these protests are now sp spreading all over the world like the global virus spread all over the world. Why is that important? Because anytime you hear of anything that has garnered global attention, we in the church need to pay attention. You know when Paul wrote to the, the, the epistles to the New Testament church, he addressed them to the church. This letter to the church of, of Thessalonica this to the letter, this letter addressed to the church at, at Corinth or when Paul wrote those letters, they were to a particular church. But when Jesus gave his last word to the world in written text, it's the book of Revelation and the Bible said, didn't say it was a revelation of John. No, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. He gave to John. It was not addressed to the church at Corinth was not addressed to the Galatians or those in Thessalonica. No. His last word was to the whole world. It was to all the churches. I don't have time to mention all of those things. But I can tell you that the Lord is, when, when there's a global issue and everyone's focused on the global issue, it's important to the church. There's church all across the country that have had in-person services like we're doing here tonight that resulted in outbreaks and even the death of some. But a federal judge ruled this, this last month that Governor Gavin Newsom's ban on church assemblies during the pandemic did not violate their constitutional rights to free assembly and religion. 
because during a public health crisis, new considerations must come to bear and government officials must ask whether even fundamental rights must give way to a deeper need to control the spread of infectious disease and to protect the lives of society's most vulnerable, Judge John Mendez wrote in his ruling according to the Los Angeles Times. However, the Supreme Court just ruled two weeks ago during a, a, against a united Pentecostal church in California. One of our apostolic churches in California. The Supreme Court ruled it's not, it is not an infringement on our religious liberties to restrict our church attendance to 10, 25, or 50 people. Whatsoever the state decides is a safe number. I said, well, we don't have that restriction now. No, but I heard, I heard a news commentator in, this was a dry run for something bigger to see what they could get away with. Jesus is coming. This world is being set up right now. America is being set up right now to participate in the one world government that will be ruled by an antichrist. I saw two weeks ago, this one disturbed me, on Fox News, Professor Alan Dershowitz said, a, and I'm quoting, a coronavirus vaccine may actually be forced on the entire population regardless of their personal, political, medical, or even religious objections. He said if they want to, the government has the right to seize you and inject the vaccine by force. He said you have absolutely no constitutional right to endanger the public and spread the disease even if you disagree. He said you have no right to not be vaccinated. You have no right to not wear a mask. He said the Supreme Court has already ruled that the government can force you to take it despite your objections because this is not a debatable issue constitutionally speaking. He said the government has a right and is allowed to endanger you in some cases relating to public safety such as the military draft for example. The police power of the state is very considerable. The only other option we would have is to stay in quarantine and not be allowed to circulate in society without being vaccinated, end of quote. That's scary for two reasons. Number one is because a recent poll taken said that 80% of Americans are afraid for the country to open back up until a vaccine is available. We don't even know if they'll find one. You know what that means to me? That means that the media has succeeded in scaring the population into submission. And many political leaders who are now intoxicated with that new power, they're ready to take advantage of it. But the second reason that makes this extremely scary is because some outlets reporting a few weeks ago that Bill Gates as well as other uh, big money investors are pushing for a coronavirus vaccine that has an implantable microchip in it to keep track of all of those who have had the virus that may present a risk to others. It's being called contact tracing. It's being tagged as a public safety issue. Somebody said, is that true? We don't know anymore. They pulled it off. You can't even listen to it anymore because social media platforms that most people to go to for news, uh, they're not allowing any dissenting points of view. Freedom of speech. You know that First Amendment thing we brag about? 
that guarantees you say what you want to say is now being silenced. The right to religious expression and assembly is now being suppressed. In some states, it's even considered to be criminal activity by some state and local government officials. I asked my wife the other day, where's the ACLU? Why are they not beating down the doors of the Supreme Court demanding that the Constitution and the Bill of Rights be de defended and protected like those people took an oath to do? Where are all the politicians and the judges that placed their hands on the Bible and took an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States? If you can't trust the FBI or the CIA or the Department of Justice or the court system to be honest and law-abiding, where do we go from here? Feels like we're living in some science fiction movie, some kind of a spy novel where the, the corruption and cover-ups in governments and the legal system are just normal play. I mentioned to our church recently, I don't know what's about to happen, but I do know we're seeing the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation beginning to come alive in our generation right before our eyes. And why would it not happen? Jesus told us in Matthew 24, the generation that sees the rebirth of Israel will also see the coming of the Lord. Do you realize that in 1917, the Balfour Declaration was signed allowing the Jews to go back to their homeland? That was also the year of Jubilee. When according to the scripture, land was supposed to go back to its rightful owner. This year of Jubilee happened every 50 years. That was 1917 when land went back to its rightful owner. But then the next year of Jubilee was 1967 when Israel had six days of war and they regained the control of the old city of Jerusalem and the Wailing Wall again. Why is that important? It's important because it's the first time since the Babylonian captivity where Daniel and Ezekiel and, and the three Hebrew children were carried into captivity. It's the last time. That was the last time the Jews had control of the city of Jerusalem. But once again, that year was a year of jubilee when land would go back to its rightful owner. Count 50 years later to the next jubilee, 2017. What happened in 2017? President Donald Trump did what every other president has promised to do since 1948 when he moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem and declared to the whole world that Jerusalem is and always shall be the eternal capital of Israel. So not only did the land go back to its rightful owner, but the official title deed went back to its rightful owner as well, taking it forever off the negotiating tables. I feel very confident we are at the end and a great worldwide revival is about to explode on the horizon. Brother Raymond Woodward was preaching. I heard him the other day preaching from an empty church building. He said, this virus has literally moved the whole world online. And now the danger is that the church is just something else that we do online. Disturbs me. He went on to say, even when some of our restrictions are lifted, he said, we will not even get to define what our new normal is going to be because government officials and political leaders are going to decide that for us. 
He also said, if our fathers could have lived to see our day, they would have been scared to death, shaken in their boots. But our generation doesn't even seem to notice. He said, the awareness is so low, and yet the stakes are so high. He goes on to say, because we are living in a time of casual Christianity. And yet this is the time just before the end of time. End of quote. I don't know how you could be backslid at this particular moment in history and still be able to sleep at night unless you can simply no longer feel the draw of God on your heart. If I was not right with God, I would not leave this building until I knew everything was right between me and him. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know whether revival or persecution is coming first or maybe it's a combination of both. I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to last. Maybe a few short weeks, a few short months, maybe a few short years. But whatever it's going to be, I want to be ready for it. And I want to see revival. I want us to harvest as many as we can get before the Lord said, that's enough. Before the Lord said to his church, come up higher. Before we go to that great marriage supper of the Lamb, I want to be ready. I want to be ready to reach for those that are reaching for Him. And I do believe this church is going to be the most important building in this community before the Lord comes. This needs to be the ark of safety where people come, not for the music, not for the programs, not for the fellowship, but for the message the Acts 2.38 message for water baptism in Jesus' name. I don't care how big we get. I don't care how fancy we get. I don't care how wealthy people get in the church. You cannot get so big that you forget the message. We were lost, but now we're found. That's what they need. They don't, they don't need more good music. They need the message. They need Acts 2.38. They need the oneness of God. They need holiness. They need the message to make a difference in their life. Let me hurry right here. I can't read these scriptures. The Bible tells us in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, Russia is going to invade Israel. It's mentioned 18 times. But there was no Israel that existed for 2,534 years when this was written. It didn't exist until your lifetime, May 1948. What are you saying? Israel was a valley of dry bones that Ezekiel saw. Do you know, do you know, I don't have time to cover this either, but do you know in 1948, the same day Israel was declared a nation, do you know that was the very day that Yigel Yadin found the Dead Sea Scrolls? Same day. You know the very first scroll they found? The very first scroll they found, and they could read the text. The words of the text was from the book of Ezekiel. And here was the words they read. When they dusted it off, the words said, Can these bones live? The very day the flag went up the pole for the first time under Jewish control since Babylonian captivity, all of a sudden they find the word of God. And the word of God said, can these bones live? Israel was reborn as a nation. But there was no Israel in Ezekiel 38 and 39 for 2,534 years. But in 1948 they came alive again. So now the prophecy of Ezekiel 38 and 39 can come to pass. They can and be invaded. It's also called the war of the latter years in Ezekiel 38. 
Joel chapter 2, Zechariah chapter 12, Zechariah chapter 14 tells us that when they come against Israel, a fire is going to devour them in what resembles a nuclear war. But then in Daniel chapter 11, it tells us that the north and the leftover armies of Russia, along with the kings of the east being China, maybe Korea and India, perhaps Pakistan, they're going to join in on the second invasion. The Jewish Midrash says that there's going to be three invasions. Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 through 45. And the second, it includes Iraq and Iran, where the Euphrates River is, is located. So what, what are you saying? I'm saying the stage is set. The characters are on the stage. The final curtain is opening. What's that mean? Somebody said, tell me how close are we? There is no more prophecy. The rapture is next. There is no prophecy that says the rapture is going to come when this happens. No, Jesus said when you see these things begin to come to pass, not when they've come to the final trumpet, when they begin to come to pass, look up, lift up your heads, get ready, be alert. Your redemption is drawing nigh. We're not going to be here much longer. We need to get ready. We need to get our families ready for what's about to take place. Paul said to those that may be horrified and afraid at what's about to come upon the world, he said to those that when Jesus comes back to the earth, he's coming back, he's describing him here, not coming back as a savior, but as a judge. This is scary. We don't know that God. We don't know that God. Jesus is going to come back, not with mercy, but with wrath. And so Paul knows there are people that scare, are scared to death about what he's saying. And so he said in 2 Thessalonians 1 and 7, he said, and to you who are troubled, you that can't sleep at night, the fear, the anxiety, the discouragement, the distress, the depression, he said, you who are troubled, rest with us. Calm down. Be at peace. Rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. He's telling them, you can calm down if you've been buried in his name, in baptism, if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, you can rest with us. Be calm. Be assured. He's not appointed you to rest. We're going to be caught out of here. We're going to a marriage supper of the Lamb where we're going to crown him King of kings and Lord of lords. And then we're coming back. The tribulation's not for us. The rapture's next. I think we sometimes forget, and I'm trying to close here. There are people, so many people in other denominal churches all over the country that feel so empty and so lost so far from God we've had Baptist pastors and their wives walk in our church tell us they're so hungry for a real move of God they feel something in our church they've never felt in any of their churches before and they desperately hunger for it they really do love God they really do want to be saved but they need somebody like Philip that will show them the way because they don't know what's missing Jesus turned the water into wine. 
The governor of the feast said, you saved the best wine till last. The law was first. It couldn't make them happy. But the gospel was last. It brought resurrection and life. The scripture of the Old Testament said the letter killeth. It killeth, it condemns. But the spirit gives life. God told the prophet Haggai, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. The law shined a light on what sin was, but the gospel removed it. You've got good news to share with the world. In Joel chapter 2, verse 23, the Lord spoke to a backslid, wayward Israel, a people that were scattered and dispersed throughout the four corners of the world, and he promised them a revival like they had never seen before. He said, Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately. He will cause to come down for you the rain. Not just seasonal rain, but the rain. Whenever and wherever, wherever it's needed. Not a flood that washes everything away. Not a drought because it's so far between rain. No, he's going to send the rain whenever and wherever it's needed. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month, which simply means as it was before in its perfect season. I'm going to send rain that you never expected. It's going to come at a time and with a consistency that you never expected. It's going to have a consistent, unexpected appearance and you're not going to be able so, it's going to be so great you won't be able to prepare for it and the floor shall be full of wheat and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil what's he saying whatever barn size you have it won't be big enough whatever storage vats you have they won't be deep enough to hold what he's going to send to you amen this church has had great revival in the past. But what God's about to send you, you don't have a barn big enough for it. Oh, I believe God wants to send it. He said in verse 25, And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the pat caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. The persecution, the trouble, the things we don't like, the things that make us uncomfortable, God sends those. God makes us uncomfortable. That's his army. That's what he's saying. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out of my spirit. This prophecy deals with both the natural and the spiritual revival of Israel. Israel is restored, the church is restored, and Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Would you stand with me? I don't want you to leave here today. Say that preacher just described the gloomiest hour of the church. No, this is not by far the gloomiest hour of the church. This is the greatest hour of the church. I've been praying for the coming of the Lord for 42 years. 42 years. And for the first time, I feel like it's on really any day it's going to happen. I don't know what God's getting ready to do. 
But I believe what he's going to do is going to be a short work. I think, again, it's so fitting that this church is called the promise because the promise of the Holy Ghost is preached here not just to you, but to your children, to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Every farmhouse, every little, every little uh, housing development, every place you go to, there are people that need the message that this church is preaching. God gave a gift to this community when he gave this church to this community. When God sent your pastor to this community, he's a gift. I know a lot of churches would give anything to have him as their pastor. Amen. They'd love to have him. I know a lot of churches that never hear the message, that listen to, listen to other preachers online so they can get the message. They're not able to leave where they are. They're married into families, ministering families, and they can't leave there. They'd love to have what you have. You have no reason to be embarrassed to bring people to this church. I really believe that what God did in the past, the past history of this church, I believe it's going to pale in comparison to what he wants to do in these last days. Amen. Despite what some people have said, I can assure you the church is alive and well. It's alive and well. And what the Lord has in store for his church before he comes all over this world, I think it's about to blow our minds. I want to be ready to receive that, don't you? I want to open these altars. This could be our greatest hour. This can be the best year of harvest this church has ever had. But you got to get yourself ready so you can be the instrument that God uses. Amen. We need to say, God, use me. Lead me to somebody that's hungry. Lead me to fertile soil. Help me not to waste my time. Lead me to people that want a message of hope. And God will lead you to them. I want to open these altars as they sing something together. If you want the Lord to use you, would you come? Would you find a place in this altar? Would you seek after the Lord? It's not somebody else's job. It's our job. Nobody's going to come from La Follette and in the people in Churchill. It's got to be you. Is that your desire? Is that your desire today? Why don't you come? Let's find a place to Thank you for joining our podcast. We want to invite you to our church Wednesdays at 7 o'clock, Sunday afternoons at 345. We want to say thank you for joining us and also tune in next time for our podcast, Messages from the Promise.